ADHD and diet is a commonly searched topic, and the various recommendations will send you down a digital rabbit hole, leaving you unsure what to do. Can what your child eats help or worsen their ADHD symptoms? In today's episode, we're looking at some of the most common suggestions. Cut out added sugars, avoid food colorings, eat only whole foods for a preservative-free diet. What does the science say actually works, and what should you ignore? Let's dive in. I know we say this a lot, Carolyn. Like we say, we've been thinking about this episode for a while, but a lot of the time it's true. And today it's true too. Like we're talking about whether or not you can like use food to manage your ADHD, whether that's adding something to your diet or taking something out of your diet. And it's a topic that you and I have been batting around for a while. Like we really want to cover ADHD. There are so many different ways. This is definitely so not the last aspects. time that yeah, we're going to so talk about we it. We haven't been able to really wrap our hands around how to divide it up into little bite-sized episodes because yes. it's so big and there's so many just interesting aspects. Yes. But we're starting with this episode. Correct. And we are going to reveal some truths and bust some myths. Yes. And I let you take the lead on this one because I'm just going to go ahead and say it just in case I get fired up later in the episode. Um, I'm a little too close to this. I got diagnosed as an adult, which blew my mind, and then both my kids have it. And I get real – I can get on my soapbox when I hear – people touting some of these myths yes. about what is what can actually benefit and what can't. And yes. yeah, I'm just going to warn people. So, but that's why I'm so thankful that you, you did all the research today, organized the episode. And I'm so thankful because I needed to take a more neutral role, at least until we record it. <laughs> so if Carolyn sounds um, surprised and shock and awe, now everybody knows why. Yes. But first, first, ADHD is very common and you pulled some stats on like how common it is, some other helpful facts, and also I know you do a really good job of describing the different types of ADHD. So can you run listeners through that first um, so that if they're not familiar um, or as familiar as you are, at least they'll get a little bit more intel before we jump into yeah. diet. So ADHD, you used to hear ADD, ADHD. It's all grouped now under one thing, which is ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. That doesn't mean you have the hyperactive type. Right. Okay. Because I think we think ADHD, and the first thing I think, I can't say his name, I'll feel bad, but there was a boy in my first grade class, and Joey just bounced off the walls. Yeah. Like, picture child of ADHD and that was before we knew much about it and I just remember feeling bad because he got in trouble and he was a good kid and yeah he just had all this energy but there are other types and I'll get to that in a second but it's usually first diagnosed in childhood and will last into adulthood usually as you get into adult either you've got it managed with medication or you've learned some lifestyle adaptations yeah. that help you coping strategies uh-huh uh-huh um so um, it can, a lot of times you see kids either, you ha- see that overly hyperactive one. That I, yeah. That you, um, some may have trouble controlling impulsive behaviors. And that's not necessarily hyperactive, but acting without thinking or yeah. blurting something out without thinking. And then they feel really bad. And then there's also um, 
one where it's just trouble paying attention. Yeah. An aspect. And that's one you all a lot of times see in girls. And so it goes undiagnosed because you don't have the hyperactivity. You don't may not have the impulsivity. But this stat seemed low to me, but 5 to 10% of all children have ADHD and 4% of adults. That seemed really low to me. And you'll yeah. hear people say they feel like it's so much more common these days. And I don't, I feel like I, we don't necessarily know if it's necessarily more common or we are just more aware of it. And yeah. we have so much, much better diagnostic tools. Like, for example, my brother, who is um, around 40, um, was a picture, just a photo child for ADHD. Never got diagnosed. Never got diagnosed till he was an adult. Wow. Now, in hindsight, he he's like, yeah, I realized like he used caffeine to cope with it, to help him manage his ADHD. Yeah. yeah. usually use stimulants. But he didn't know what he was doing. Right. And my mom's like, I feel so bad. Like, you know. Anyway, we we are so much more aware of it today. So I don't know if it's that it's more prevalent or we're just more, more own aware. to it or a combination. But yeah. anyway, um, estimated number of children, 3 to 17, ever diagnosed is one, let's see, 10%. Is that right? Am I reading mm-hmm. that? Is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. 10%. Boys, 13% of boys, um, boys are more likely to be diagnosed than girls. Boys, 13%. Girls, 6%. Now, I will say a caveat it's often missed in girls because mm-hmm. it's not the stereotypical behavior that we right. think. Right. And usually girls develop very good coping skills, myself being one of them. We're the straight-A students. We're the people pleasers. You develop coping mechanisms, so you never think right. there might be some kind of neurodevelopmental issue. Well, and also I think, like, um, I've had – I had a psychologist explain it to me, too, or explain it to me this way once, that – um, particularly with girls and fem- and and adult women, um, the way that what is expected of us from a society standpoint mm-hmm. and what is like considered appropriate and inappropriate kind of can help ma- like can lead you to masking it, right? Yeah. So like we know that interrupting is rude. So we you know we try and find a way to not do that, yeah. right? And it's not that it's appropriate for boys, but I, I think just generally like, males are you know they're they have more leeway to like speak up than than females do we are groomed girls are groomed to not interrupt correct yeah correct okay so um black non-hispanic children and white non-hispanic children are more often diagnosed um than hispanic or asian non-hispanic um again that may have something to do with access to health care i don't know but just reading all these um, stats. Um, estimates by state vary. Um, ADH, let's see, vary from 6 to 16% of children um, among the different states. Um, any ADHD treatment for children who have been diagnosed with ADHD varies greatly from 58% to 92%. It's wild to think that. That really like hurts 40, my heart to think about. Yeah, that 40% in some areas of the, wor- of the world, <laughs> in some areas of the country, 40% of kids who are diagnosed with ADHD might not be receiving treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I won't go on my tangent about that. But I, I can see particularly if the impulsivity and the hyperactive ones – 
I have seen how a child can start. It just starts to make them start thinking they're a bad kid mm-hmm. and that they're just a bad kid and can start leading them down, down the wrong path, um, yeah. you know, and just because it's a medical condition and it's not being treated. Yep. So. Yeah. Okay. So there, I kind of missed, I mentioned earlier, there are three types, just really quickly. There's one where it's predominantly inattentive. It's hard for the person to organize or finish a task, to pay attention to details or to follow instructions or conversations. So like if I'm in a conversation with you and something pops in my head, like I kind of lose track of what you're saying. Yeah. Or I'm distracted. Yes. Um, That kind of thing. Now I love a Tat, I love a project that has details, but I'm either totally immersed in it or I'm totally detached from those details. Is this the type that you present with? Do you know? M- most, of, most of it, I think. Okay. Um, I have some, a little bit of impulsivity. Like, I've always noticed, like, if I'm in conversations and someone says something, like, I have a hard time not blurting out, like, when I think of something. Like, uh-huh. oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. Inter- I have a hard time not interrupting them. Yeah. Okay. So, and then there is um, predominantly hyperactive, impulsive. The person fidgets or talks a lot. It's hard for them to sit still for long. It's hard for them to maybe sit at the table for dinner or while doing homework. This is probably the primary type my son has. And I remember a therapist a while back was like, let him stand while he's doing his homework. Let him stand and tap the table. It drove me insane. Yeah. Because I was like, he, he can't be focusing. But they were like... They almost need like a distraction, like that tapping or something, right. to help their mind focus. Well, and also like, could it then be distracting to you? Exactly. Right? We were playing off each other. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so the individual may feel restless, has trouble with impulsivity. Um, they may interrupt others a lot, grab things from people, speak at inappropriate times. It's hard for them to wait their turn or listen to directions. Um, they may have more accents and injuries. Um, than others. What's interesting, I was just reading this the other day, a lot of your ADHD people, though, in this category also show some gifted signs. Hmm. Just kind of inter- have a real high creativity. Interesting. That falls more in the gifted area. So um, they just can't sit still. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got one of them in my house. And then, yes, you do. And then there's a combined where you may have different aspects of them. Of them um, so it yeah. looks different in every person. Um, what else did you want me to share about the background of it? Uh, I think, you know, we talked, I think it's important, since most of our listeners are women, it's mm-hmm. it's important to know that it is, it can look very different in women than it can in men and girls than it can in boys. Um, but I think the, it really feels like, the identification or the um, like raising awareness of the fact that there are differences between genders when it comes to ADHD is, you know, it's out there a little bit more now, but I mean, I didn't, I did not realize that there were gender differences until you and I started talking about it. And I was like, wait, what? I didn't realize until the therapist that I took my child to, Looked at me and said, "Have you ever been tested?" Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Bring it on, sister. Yeah, come on. I'm gonna ace that thing. I, I got my PhD. Yeah, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, let's take this test." And then I failed. And then you failed. Okay. Yes, um, but that really got me to dig into the information about women and ADHD and or girls and women. It looks vastly different, and it also usually coincides with like anxiety, depression, 
And the, I think the hard thing is women are often very successful. Yeah. But they're using coping skills. And I read something somewhere that, like, if women don't deal with it at a certain point, like, they're going to, like, get fired from a job. They're going to develop, like, um, a substance abuse issue. They're going to get divorced. Or not saying that's the cause, but right. coping skills are going to catch up somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it it, catch, it catches up with you later in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the hardest part about ADHD is that it, there's no real fix for it. There's no cure. No. Um, it's, you know, the, the top way to treat it is medication and therapy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the medication, of course, I think depending on your – the medi- t- taking medication can be controversial. Like, and I'm not saying – I'm not saying – I'm saying that more from an anecdotal perspective. Like, there are some people who just straight up are like, I don't want to take something or I don't want my kid right. to take something. And then, then there are others who are like, bring it. Bring it on. I will say – I told y'all I wasn't going to be. I will say, I think when it comes to a child, not giving – assuming that medication does not have negative side effects on that child, I think it is – Cruel to not give a child that medication if they really need it. Yeah. Because that's setting them up for failure. Yeah. And just because you have an issue with medication um, just is a night and day difference. It's um, – anyway, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and, and like, I've, I've ta- I feel like I've talked about it in, like, different, you know, social circles. And there's that component, like you were saying, where it sets them up for failure, but it also starts this um, – it has this potential to start this internal dialogue in their head, like this inner voice that's like either I'm stupid, mm-hmm. I'm not smart, I'm, I'm not good at kid. school, yeah. I misbehave, you know, whatever, however it's expressing itself. Um, and, and that's, that's going to develop into the persona that they see themselves mm-hmm. as. And yeah, and, and yeah, who they become or don't become. I will say when Griffin was the first one that got recommended for medication and – um. I was a little hesitant. I mean, he was like as young as you can be. And I said, well, how, you know, are you sure we need medication? You know, of course, I hadn't seen the benefits of medication at that point. I probably wouldn't have questioned had I (laughs) seen the benefits. But, and the therapist gave me some really good advice. It was a child psychiatrist. And she said, when it starts, because he was at the very borderline age um, where you could prescribe it. And she said, when it's starting to affect a child's self-esteem and confidence. Mm. That's when I say you need to start the medication. And we were there. Yeah. And so, but I thought that's really good advice. That's that's helpful. That's great advice. Yeah. Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. We got off on Now that we have revealed our opinions about medication, which really shouldn't be a surprise to listeners because we also are pro-medication for – mental health conditions um the next thing you already touched on this and then we're going to jump into diet but you you touched on the fact that there are often coexisting conditions with adhd so they can lead to depression and anxiety like we were talking about um as like something that can happen with women right but there there does like surveys show us that Six in ten children who have ADHD have at least one other mental, emotional, or behavioral disorder. It's really interesting. They occur in clusters, like usually. Yeah. Like I was just sharing with you, um, 
if a child has a form of dyslexia, it's not unusual for them to also have ADHD or um, like a sensory processing or kind of some of those neurodevelopmental things. You rarely see like just ADHD. Right. Or, you know, just a form of dyslexia. It's, they occur in usually clusters. Well, and, and what's interesting is you have this chart in here where it talks about like, so the percentage of kids, the percentage of kids with ADHD who have at least one other disorder. So 64% have any mental, emotional, or behavioral disorder. 52% have a behavior or conduct problem. 33% have anxiety. 17% have depression. 14% have autism spectrum disorder. And then 1% has Tourette syndrome. Mm-hmm. It, and, and the thing that I find so interesting um, is that like I've talked with people about how if you have ADHD and it's untreated, it can actually lead to anxiety. So like they might yes. they might coexist together for like neurological type reasons, right? But then if you have ADHD, it can fuel anxiety because you you know what you should be doing. You can't bring yourself to do it or you're lacking the um the you know the long-term planning mm-hmm. skills the executive functioning skills that you need and so but you know you have like a big project or you know a deadline at work or yeah. a big test coming up or something along those lines and so the two are like fueling one another mm-hmm. yeah exactly and it can fuel like depression I saw it in, in Griffin somewhat like he didn't want to be impulsive and acting out and doing these things and yeah. so after it happened, he felt so guilty and so shamed and embarrassed, and it can kind of fuel some depression. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. So now that we've run through some background on ADHD, let's dive in to the meat of it. What do we know about ADHD and diet? Okay. What'd you find? So I found some stuff that I really wasn't expecting, and this goes – and the first one goes back to the cluster concept that you were talking okay. about. So kids with ADHD often tend to have um, some common food intolerances. So there were some that are, uh, like, a little random, um, and some that I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So um, – Kids with ADHD often can metabolize oligosaccharides differently or have trouble metabolizing them. Now, that sounds like a really big, weird word. I but never knew how to say that word. Well, I don't even know if I said it right either. But oligosaccharides are – they're just a type of carbohydrate. And they're actually one that we talk about a lot on the podcast because they are the type of carbohydrate that acts as a prebiotic to feed all those good bugs in our mm-hmm. GI. So they're like in the plant foods, in the fruits, in the veggies, in the grains – um, kids with ADHD also tend to have... So wait, the ADHD kids can't break them down as well? Correct. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, they, they might not be able to break them down as well. Um, kids with ADHD also tend to be, have more lactose intolerance than kids who don't, like they present with lactose intolerance. Had no idea. And then the, the third one I found was that kids with ADHD also have a higher incidence of celiac disease which is the, you know, allergy intolerance to gluten, mm-hmm. um, which I th- also thought was really interesting. Well, you and I were saying just a little, I started to see a little 
some beginning research looking at if there was an immune connection possibly mm-hmm. to ADHD. And it, it that would make sense with the celiac connection since celiac is autoimmune. But right. that, 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 there's nothing proven out there. That's just a new avenue they are looking down. Right, exactly. And they're also, we also talked um, before we started recording about how there seems to be some very, very preliminary research on the composition of the gut microbiome in people with and without ADHD and that they are, they're noticing some differences. Mm-hmm. And then, and so that just makes me think too, like, well, if you have this like, challenge metabolizing like these prebiotics and stuff i mean why like why is that yeah right um but again there really isn't anything that's conclusive on in either of those regards out there that's like that that's all that helpful yeah okay so those are some interesting just common food intolerances yeah um the second one might not surprise people if they know someone who takes adhd medication so they say that research has also shown that kids with adhd may eat fewer calories and also get fewer nutrients compared to kids without adhd now they didn't say whether or not it was medication related or not medication related but i just thought it was interesting that they're you know because when we get into some of the other stuff about their quality of their diets um there was both quantity they basically quantity and quality of Mm -hmm. diet is different present seems to be different in kids with ADHD versus kids without ADHD yeah okay so yeah so a lot of your ADHD medications decrease appetite which is something you have to watch for in kids now unfortunately it did not decrease my appetite (laughs) when I started taking Adderall (laughs) you were a little disappointed about that yeah I will say I can go longer without eating like I don't get low blood sugar which is I've always meant to look that up like but like that was the noticeable side effect that I had. Yeah. Like, usually I would hit a certain point where I needed to eat. And, like, I can go, well, like, I have to watch sometimes. I guess that's a decrease of appetite. Yeah. But when I eat, I eat. When you eat, you eat. But yeah. you can go longer between meals. Yeah. So the other thing that they found, and we're going to talk about this part um, a little bit more in depth, is that there are a fair amount of studies that all say that patients that or you know, people who have ADHD have a lower quality diet. Um, and tend to fall short on some other nutrients compared to people without ADHD. So, for example, um, there was a, a systematic – it's called a systematic review and a meta-analysis. So it's basically a, you know, a study of studies, right, right, where they, like, pull all this data. Mm-hmm. And in this particular case, they looked at these six different diets patterns and in about, like, 8,000-ish people they pulled data on. And what they found was that a, quote-unquote, like, healthy dietary pattern – um, in this case, they defined it as it was high in vegetables and fruits, seafood, those um, good-for-you fats called polyunsaturated fats, and then also high in um, magnesium, zinc, and phytochemicals. And phytochemicals are those, like, um, antioxidant-type compounds typically found in plant foods. So eating this healthy diet pattern was l- associated with a lower risk of ADHD. Whereas if you ate the quote unquote, (coughs) excuse me, Western diet, or you ate a junk food diet, you had a higher risk of ADHD. So Western, we've talked about that before. I mean, it's what, it's what's pretty common in America, right? More red meat, more refined grains, more processed meats, um, soft drinks, animal fats, that sort of thing. And then added sugars and added sugars. And then junk food was like 
literally what you think of as a, like cookies, cakes, pizza, potato chips, sodas, that sort of thing. Um, well, this makes if there is a gut connection, this makes a lot of sense too. Yes. It makes a lot of sense. I will say though, and this is totally anecdotal based on just me comparing my two children. Griffin, I would say, is, Melon takes a little ADHD, but she's not significant. But it is harder for me to get Griffin to eat those healthier things. And I don't know. I've never looked into like our ADHD kids. Are they pickier eaters? Or like they have a shorter attention. Like, I don't know. It's. Yeah. It's always been like that. Um, I mean, all kids go through phases, but. Well, there were. So, so, no, that's like, I think that's a really cool observation because they're, they're in the research. There were some like, you know, you know, in conclusions of research mm-hmm. studies, they give you like, you know, researchers like um, different hypotheses and yeah. thoughts. And there, and I saw it in a handful of places. They say that some experts really do think that the ADHD symptoms just lead to an impulsive eating of like what they call like more palatable foods, which would be like the more, you know, junk foods, the more Western foods. So like you, you have an impulsivity to eat these foods and you're more, so you're more likely to just lean into that impulsiveness than you are to pull back and be like, wait a minute, hold on, let me like. Let me try and do something else. I wonder if they've looked at ADHD kids and food jacks. Because you remember when you fed Griffin fish sticks, Whole Foods fish sticks? Yeah, he freaking ate them up. Yeah. That's all he ate for like the next three months. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Uh-huh. Is that why you that's texted me and asked he me wanted, where I got the uh-huh, fish sticks? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but he does stuff like that. Interesting. And we're not like at the food jag age. <laughs> oh yeah, you've well graduated beyond what... Yeah. Most like dietitians would yeah. consider like your typical food jag age. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so eating health, eating a healthier dietary pattern it's or lower risk is a lower risk for ADHD. There was a a new, a fairly new study. I think it was either the end of last year or the beginning of this year. It came out and it found that. Just bear with me because it's going to get a little technical for a minute. That if you they found that eating a quote-unquote one-unit increase in dietary polyphenols decreased your risk of ADHD. So like your wild blueberries? Yes. Smoothie? Yes, exactly. So they what they did was they assessed these study participants' diets, and then the researchers calculated like the polyphenol intake based on okay. the reports, and that was how they found – the association but yeah basically like you said blueberries and other like colorful plants are especially your rich um like purple blue your reds but really all your bright fruits and vegetables and yeah but the colors like that that's the 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 key thing is the bright colors and the 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 deep hues that you can find are wine wine for adults that's right that's wine for instance where is our wine um, so anyway, I thought that was really interesting, but the big disclaimer here is that these are all observational studies, which means like they are looking at what kids ate and then whether or not they actually had ADHD. Though. They're not looking at which they're not looking at. It's not causation, which goes back to what you were saying is like, is it because they are more likely to be drawn to these foods or is there another connection yeah. there? Like wh- what's the chicken and what's the egg? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, 
Now, there was a really, I did find one study. It was a pretty good study because it was a randomized controlled trial, right? So, like, participants were blinded to yeah. what um, what was, what they were having in some, blinded in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure how they did it here. I don't remember. But anyway, it was out of Iran, and it was very promising in terms of making it worthwhile to clean, you know, clean up your diet if you have ADHD. So what they found is that when kids ate fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and dairy, and then they limited their sugar and soft drinks, and they took their ADHD medication because these were all kids who had ADHD. So when they did those, their scores for inattentiveness dropped. So, like, they were more attentive. Now, hyperactivity and impulsivity didn't change. But interesting, inattentiveness did change. Well, I'm going to try that on myself. Seriously. Although I really should be doing all that anyway. Yeah. I feel like my diet hasn't fully gotten back on track after COVID. I mean, it's cleaned up significantly. Yeah. But, but there's it, stuff that I would let myself have now that I probably wouldn't before COVID. Same. You same. Know? Totally agree. I'm just, no. Um, okay. And then the flip side was that they did a study on teenagers, not necessarily ones who had um, ADHD, but just teenagers and, an ult- and like eating ultra processed foods. And what they found was that um, – those who ate a fair amount of like ultra processed foods each day had more depressive symptoms than ones who ate less. Well, that's not new. I feel like we're seeing more of that come out every day. Yes. And with dementia as well, not just depression. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of this to say, like there is some value in cleaning up your diet, especially if you have ADHD. Um, We've obviously talked about it as mood, like related to mood before. Okay, but then pivoting a little bit, there still is this whole concept when it comes to ADHD about, like, eliminating different foods or additives. Mm, I'm ready to get on this. Um, and there's also some about adding nutrients, like adding omega-3 fats, adding different vitamins and minerals, um, and, you know, and different supplements. We're not going to get into the adding nutrients because a lot of that is all supplement-type stuff, which we may come back to that later. We may later. come back to it, but for the purpose of today's episode that i mean y'all would be here for like an hour and a half and i will say and i don't want to talk for an hour omega threes are the one thing i feel like i can see some beneficial yeah. difference with when i remember to when you remember to to give them and take them yeah yeah but let's talk about um those rumors or foods that you often hear you need to eliminate or get rid of or certain diets you need to follow yeah so the, what the truth is behind them. There seem to be like three categories okay. that I kept seeing over and over. Um, and I guess if you really wanted to, you could break it into four categories, but from a research perspective, it was better to keep it as three. So those were um, something called the few foods diet, which has some other names and I'll get into that in a minute. There was sugar restriction, like cutting back on added sugars or eliminating added sugars altogether. And then there was the concept of being, like, additive and preservative-free. So not eating any foods that have, like, food colorings or other, you know, so-called preservatives yeah. um, in in the diet, which basically means cutting out any type of processed. ultra-processed food. So we're going to tell you what the research says about yes. these three and if they're worth trying. Yes. Okay. Few foods diets. Yes. This is not one I was familiar with until you brought it up. 
Yeah, and so this one is... Doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound fun. It's very... I mean, it's extreme. Um, Okay, so the thing is, is that... I'm sitting here looking at it, thinking about trying to get Griffin to follow it. There's no way in hell. I mean, would you even want to cook that? No. No. Okay, tell people what it is. All right, so the Few Foods Diet is also called the Oligo-Antigenic Elimination Diet, or the OD Diet. That's okay. those are the different names. All right, so here's what it is. It the idea is that you're of you want to completely avoid foods that often trigger allergy allergies or intolerances, right? So we already talked about that like sort of connection between ADHD and like food intolerances and food allergies. So in this diet, it's typically you eat two types of meat, lamb and chicken. You eat two types of carbohydrates, potatoes and rice. You eat two types of fruit, banana and apple. And then you eat, for vegetables, any brassica. You're supposed to... So like any to, cruciferous for the most part? Right. Any cruciferous veggie. And then, so like your kale, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, you know, those kind Kids of things. Kids love those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They love that. <laughs> I don't see carrot sticks on here. Um, this one study outlined calcium-rich water and then some, you know, vitamin supplements, okay. which you're going to need. Anyway, so... Um, what they've found is that in some this study in some people with ADHD this diet helps okay but it doesn't help in in everybody and what they think is that two things is that basically the it indicates that like doing it goes back to inflammation doesn't it well it does, it, there is an inflammation <laughs> there could be an inflammation connection but that the idea is that because they this diet is meant to like really align with like food preferences and any potential like intolerances or allergies that really it's just about like dialing in on a very specific like nutrition adjusted diet that's that is like that's the benefit it's about personalizing the diet for the person with okay. ADHD so, like, your two carbohydrates, like, your two fruits aren't banana and apple. Those were just two examples. You just have two fruits, two carb sources, two meats, and cruciferous vegetables. Yes. And then you you basically so cut the diet down to, strip down to just that. And then you slowly start to add more back in and see what happens. So a it's little a little bit like an elimination diet. Yeah, so, it is an elimination diet. You know, everything goes back to inflammation for me. Um, but I, ADHD, because it's a brain disorder and like anxiety and depression, if they are inflammatory in nature and ADHD has some inflammatory aspects. So if you have a lot of inflammation coming from other areas, that's going to usually make your symptoms worse with any kind of right. brain issue. So right. guessing what they're going for here is, um, like people who really are sensitive to food intolerances, food allergies, this could really chill out the inflammation maybe and make it that's what I'm going to uh, yeah, thinking and, from and my improve your yeah. ADHD symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I that makes but a ton of sense. If you can follow it. Right. Exactly. So but my kids would be fighting over what fruits. It and that's the thing is that it's like it's very hard to follow. It's very restrictive. It's obviously very boring. Um, and it takes a lot of time to then slowly reintroduce foods and see what happens. I like how it says the diet was adjusted to suit the taste and habits of the family. 
Yeah. How much can you adjust to fruits, to carbs, to meats? Anyway. Yeah. It's a great question. I don't know. But also the origin of this diet came from a physician who first was like an al- he was an allergist. Yeah. And that was like the original origin and then somehow got I, into the I whole ADHD had, world. I mean, and the allergy thing goes back to there being a potential immune connection to ADHD. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Okay. So the few foods diet could work. It may or may not work. Godspeed if you want to try and do it. Yes. Is all I've got to say. But to each his own, it might be worth it okay. to you. Okay. I'm ready to get on this one. I know. Sugar, sh- restricting sugar or a sugar-free diet. Yeah. What did the research say? Uh, no. No. The research, there is research that they say, okay, so the general language well, let me that say I say this. Everybody eats sugar and gets a sugar high. Yeah. A sugar high is completely different than ADHD, than yes. hyperactivity. Yes. So let's just put that Correct. out there. And there is research that shows that, that, it like sugar can create hyperactivity in kids without ADHD. Right. It's going to create a low level of brief hyperactivity in every person. Yeah. Whether you're running around or you're running your mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So what I found really interesting is that I kept seeing the same like conclusive, like overarching summary from different like respectable outlets. And basically what they said is like, the findings are mixed. The findings are mixed. Like some studies say that eating a diet higher in sugary treats and snacks is more likely to be associated with ADHD or ADHD like symptoms. And then, you know, others, you know, other studies don't support that conclusion. I, I think you got to look at the inflammation aspect, not to bring it back to inflammation <laughs> again. But we know added, excess added sugars adds inflammation. So if you've already got a brain condition, I mean, I can't, I don't think we can really say it's the cause, though. Right. And taking it completely out does not manage it. It's not necessarily going right. to manage the symptoms. Yes. Yeah. So then the other thing, too, is that, like, they basically, they found that eating, when they were saying, like, the idea of restricting sugar, it it doesn't totally add up because... They never – the studies don't look at eating sugar in isolation versus not eating sugar in isolation. What they look at is they look at eating sugary foods and sugary drinks. So they look at eating ice cream and cookies and cakes and candies and soda. And there are other factors in all of those foods, which, like, we're going to get into yes, it next. Like, you're so right. They're processed. Maybe they have some artificial coloring. They have less than healthy – like, less healthy fat. They have more saturated yep. fat. Like, so that's the part where it's, like, the idea is, like, oh, we're just going to pull added sugar out of the diet. And it's, like, well, none of the research looks at putting added sugar in and pulling added sugar yeah. out. It looks at – Foods that are high in sugar that also are high yeah. in other, you know, not so good stuff. Great point, probably. Um, okay. There was a study, though, that looked specifically at soda out of Norway that I did find was really interesting. I'm going to get a little technical here for a hot minute. So what they found was it was they looked at mental health problems um, in, I'm trying to remember the age, in 10th grade students. Um 
They looked at mental health in 10th grade students, not necessarily with ADHD and their soda habits. And the study results found what's called a J-curve like response, which I know you know what that is, Carolyn, but I what I the, the best way to explain it is literally imagine a J, right? And so, you know, along the bottom is how many drinks of soda you're having. And what they found was that there was kind of a sweet spot in like having like a little bit of soda, mm -hmm. right? Like no soda, you know, was up a little bit with mental health problems. And then um, a little bit was like, okay. And then as you started to go up in your consumption, it was up. a significant bump in mental health problems. And so really their cutoff was like drinking four or more was the most problematic. Four or more glasses of soft drinks sodas, whatever, was the most problematic for mental health in these 10th grade students. For mental health in general, yeah. For mental health in general, correct. And it wasn't specific to ADHD. It was just mental health in general. Um, yeah. So bottom line is, quote, unquote, cutting out added sugar, there's nothing to say bottom that it's worth Bottom line, it. don't take out the sugar of your child's diet instead of putting them on medication. Correct. Don't don't yeah. think taking sugar out of your child's diet is going to solve your issues. Yes. Now that's where I get fired. Giving up. your child sugar, yeah, sure, might jack them up for a little bit. But guess what? Whether my kids got ADHD or not, it's going to jack them up a little bit. Right. It's going to jack me up too. Hey, it's going to make you feel good for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to crash, and then I might crash. Yeah. Okay. Um, so additives and preservatives. That's <sighs> our last one. What does the research say on that? And this okay. includes artificial colorings. Yes. So. This one finds that it can um, it it can have a very this is kind of controversial. It's very controversial. they felt like research or a lot of parents I feel like or thought leaders feel like there there hasn't been enough research done in this area. Yes, but I guess it's hard. It's like the added sugar. You can't just give person a person additives and then take the additives out. Correct. Like. They're in the foods. Right. Like one of the studies, for example, was done where they put the additives and the colorings in a cookie. Uh -huh. And that was the way that they controlled it. And so the conclusion or the, you know, in the discussion of the study, they were like, well, one of the limitations of this study is the fact that there's wheat and egg and though in cookie and those are also mm. have the potential to be like those are major allergens and food intolerances and yeah. food intolerances so like that wasn't exactly a great delivery vehicle to to get like a quote-unquote like clean test yeah you know what I mean but anyway really there's what it seems like there the findings show that there's a significant effect but it's a small effect on ADHD symptoms when it comes to food colorings and additives and like additives and preservatives including food colorings so is the best way to put it. So we're not saying that they necessarily they don't we're not saying they cause ADHD but they aggravate and may make symptoms worse. Yes. And I have seen this firsthand in Griffin. I read an article about it probably God, 2017 or I don't know a while back now. But it was because you know, in the age of birthday parties when they're little, uh -huh. he, I put and started noticing when he ate, when they had, when someone had a Publix birthday cake with that electric blue icing, I, I mean, I really like try, had tried to figure it out. It turned his 
hyperactivity on overdrive. And it lasted for four to six hours afterwards. And I, I got, it got to me where I felt really sorry for him because he didn't want to keep bouncing off the walls. Yeah. Like it was bizarre. Wow. So much so that I pitched an article to Cooking Light so I'd yeah, so look so into it. Look into yeah. it. And, it was and get bizarre. Some but I, I think there is a definite, I think it probably varies for people. Some people have very small effects, but, and he may be affected by others, but that it was just so clear cut with that blue coloring. Yeah. It was something about it. Uh-huh. So the the other thing that they have found is that the effects of like the hyperactivity isn't just limited to kids with ADHD. They've also mm. seen studies where there were um where that's just general population of kids that it increased ADHD like behaviors after this was more specific to artificial colorings. Um not just like all preservatives and additives. Well, and one thing I learned in writing that article is like in Europe, if manu- food manufacturers use certain artificial coloring, certain dyes, they have to put on the food packaging, consumption of this may cause hyperactivity. Yeah. Yeah. There's a warning label. Yeah. yeah. And I think California is looking at some similar legislation, I think. I think it's probably similar. I don't know if they may be trying to ban it altogether, but I think just some kind of labeling would be good. Yeah, would be valuable. And I do think that it's part of the reason why the move that Europe made, I think it is part of the reason why we've started to see more like natural food coloring, you know, come into Mm -hmm. play in, or the availability of it at least. Like pick the electric one or pick the muted one. You at least have a choice now opposed to like just the electric colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this one... This one is definitely, um, after reading the research, I felt like this was one where it's like, it is not going to hurt you to try and cut this out. Yeah. There's so many natural colorings now. That's so what I many. Think. I mean, like a while ago, it was hard. Now, look, you can't have your Skittles. I'm sorry. Right. Did the Skittles get banned? There's something in the news. I don't but know. But I was like, y'all are going to now pick to ban Skittles after there's been all this research on artificial colors? Like, right. Handpick yeah. Skittles. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's a lot easier than it used to to have colored food if you want it. Yeah. Um, without the artificial colorings and the dyes. Right. And because there are also so many more like natural ones mm-hmm. that you can that you can get in just. Like I said, like you can get M&M's. Well, M&M's might have changed. I don't want to like totally disparage M&M's, but like you can get M&M like candies with a different like natural coloring in them. They don't taste the same. They don't taste the same. No, they don't taste the same. But but the point is. But there's a lot of ones that do taste. Because, yeah. Uh, And also, and, and so like if there was one to really like focus on trying to cut back on, from a research standpoint, this one seems like. It is surely not going to do anybody any harm. And it sounds like it may have some of the most, like, across-the-board improvements for people. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, bottom line is there really isn't any research that says specific dietary interventions are going to treat ADHD. Across the board, a healthier diet would probably be beneficial. Right. And then everybody needs to moderate moderate their sugar intake. Yeah. And then avoiding additives certainly ain't going to hurt. Yes. 
And it's like you, you're going to get small potential like symptom management. It's not going to be like benefits. the same as taking medication. Correct. Exactly. That like so medication, not a behavior therapy. Correct. For it's medication not. and therapy. No, absolutely not. And again, a lot of the research looks at diet habits and the risk of ADHD. It looks at that like association. It's not looking at like, oh, this is causing ADHD. Yeah. And it's looking at the association after it's diagnosed. Correct. Yeah. All right. I did find one in this one review type, type study. Um, they made an estimation, and I thought it was really, really fascinating. So here's what they said, and then I will end on that unless, of course, you have any other soapboxes that you care to get on because I feel like I have just soapboxed the heck out of our listeners. So for kids who um, have ADHD and they don't have any GI symptoms um, or or like any other um, uh dietary problems Mm -hmm. right like linked with their adhd a strict elimination diet may only have a 10 to 30 percent chance of giving like a positive desirable outcome so point being is it's going to be small yeah it's going to be small and good luck doing an elimination diet with a child yes for nine weeks 12 weeks yes exactly yeah and i don't again even if you find something that might be beneficial to eliminate, it's going to be subtle improvements. It's not going to be the same as a medication that works for your body. Right. So, yeah. So you're okay. better off adding just some healthy foods into your diet and into your kid's diet and, and, and go from there. But whatever you've heard out on the Internet, I hope that we have settled the score here. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.